0: Good morning, good morning. Man, it's so good to see you guys and hear you guys. Y'all are singing uh, beautifully. Uh, Go and take your Bibles, turn in, turn on your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. While you're turning there real quickly, uh, let me just celebrate last Sunday, Pat Gillen uh, brought the word and the third message in our series on uh, Till Death Do Us Part, uh, this uh, marriage series, and uh, he always does such a fantastic job, grateful for Pat, Amy and I, Came the first service, got to hear Pat, and then drove over to Anderson and celebrated with uh, our Anderson campus where they had the first uh, service in the new venue merged with Orville Baptist Church in Anderson. And so we had done three weeks at the hotel together, the ballroom there, and then uh, last Sunday was the first day, celebrated that with 400 people in worship in Anderson. Wasn't that wonderful? So we're grateful to God for starting that. All, uh, in an exciting way today, be praying for them as they continue on and kind of hit a new normal. And um, just God's doing some great stuff. We're going to be hearing a lot about that in the next uh, weeks and months uh, and, and looking ahead to our next initiative for the next couple of years. So be kind of leaning in a little bit on that. Today is week four, it's our fourth message in. The, uh, the marriage series, and uh, we're going to be discussing a subject, just to get you prepared here, a subject on, uh, is bi- biblical intimacy uh, today in First Corinthians chapter 7, and I want parents to be fully informed and aware just so that you can kind of at least uh, uh, be aware and, and understand um, the subject matter, but I don't want to scare you, all right? Um, use your judgment if, if you were to have uh, concern, but I, I want you to make several statements real quickly, kind of commitments on my part. The biblical passage today uh, is going to be the most explicit thing we hear. The Bible is pretty clear about, um, about what it's saying to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm not going to say anything in the next 32 minutes That my that I would be afraid or ashamed of saying in front of my children at any age they have ever been at. So in other words, I have have a 13-year-old daughter, a 16-year-old daughter, but when they were seven or eight, I would have said the same things that I'm going to say today. Uh, And so with that, the subject of intimacy can kind of be a a little bit of an awkward one in our culture, but even more so in the church. And a lot of what I want to talk to you about is what a tragedy that is. We've really made a mistake as Christians. to allow the culture to convince us that this is like a taboo subject the church should have nothing to do with. So here's what I want to restate that I've said the weeks prior, and that is the Bible can never say, the Bible can never say what it never said, but it does say what it said. So we shouldn't put words in God's mouth and say that it says something it doesn't, but likewise, we can't deny when the Bible says something very clearly. We need to read it and and see how it applies to our hearts and our lives. So those of you who said several weeks back, Preach the truth, Wayne. <laughs> Preach the whole counsel of God. Remember you said that today, all right, please? Because you may not like today, but uh, it's in the Bible, so bless your heart. Amen? So remember that when we get uh, to the Scripture today, that um, all of Scripture is inspired. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, Paul said, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching. We've kind of said this throughout the entire four-week series, but if you're here and you're single, you may say, well, this is not relevant to me. It it is. It's, It's all Scripture's profitable for you. If you're a teenager, it is so profitable for you to hear what God's Word has to say about this. And I'm not joking or laughing about it at all. It is a very serious subject that God has not an opinion about. God has a standard for your life. And it's important, this is super important. If you're divorced, this is relevant to you. If you're young, it's relevant. If, it's, if you're older, it's relevant to you. If nothing else, you should be informed about what God word, God's Word says about s- these difficult topics so that when someone comes to you and asks your opinion about what God says or what God thinks, you have an answer. And so all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, uh, for training in righteousness, Paul says, that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this is some equipping today to get us uh, to the point where we, we hear about uh, human sexuality and what God intends us to know and believe about it. 1 Corinthians 7, begin with me in verse 2. It says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. What in the world are you talking about, conjugal? We'll get there in a second, all right? And likewise, the wife to her husband. So I'm going to go ahead and just read that one verse from the New Living Translation. We don't know, ESV is what I use, the English Standard Version, but New Living Translation makes this super simple. This is the awkward part. But here's what verse 3 says is translated in the new living. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. Verse four, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. That's interesting, we we'll look at the next part. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive yourselves or one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. whole lot to say in a short amount of time, but let me give you two general observations about these four verses. Here's the first. First general observation is there are times when you read the Scripture and you just scratch your head. Happens quite often to me, and I'm just like, man, I'm perplexed for various reasons about, um, about the Bible and what God has said here in this passage, this is one of those times that I think we should just admit, ladies, you got the bad end of the deal, amen? It says, husbands, your body don't belong to you, it belongs to your wives, wives, your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to you. It may not be the case for you, but Amy got a bad rap, amen? So that's the first general observation, but the second is this. This may be a biblical evidence for why women, on average, are more devoted to prayer than men. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. It um, says, do not deprive one another except perhaps for prayer. Uh, four weeks ago, we discussed God's creative order, his created order. God had and has an intended structure for your life. He has a plan for you. Here's the thing. We love singing songs about the plan of God. We love singing songs about how great it is that God loves us, and he is for us. But here's the thing we got to remember. The context of all those songs is that we're surrendered to him. He is for you, but he's not for you when you're living in sin. So he's not like a cheerleader on the sidelines when you're getting plummeted by the devil going, Oh, it's okay. Keep doing what you're doing, Wayne. That's not what God does. God has a standard. He has a game plan for your life. And it doesn't make him happy when you're rebelling against him and ignoring his instruction. And he doesn't, me too. I mean, I want to be clear that this is for all of us. And so we've discussed how God created us for each other. And he created man and woman. This is not anything that should be controversial in church. I mean, this is, we read the Bible And it's clear that God's creative order is one man, one woman for life. That is the hope and the prayer that all of us would have when we're at the altar and we say, I do with our wives, if you're ladies, with your husbands. But God's design is not intended to be seen as a good option. All right? This is, I think, like a 2023 modern cultural perspective of God. It's almost like, oh, yeah, sure. Hey, we get it. You're a Christian. And so this traditional marriage thing, it's a good option for you, all right? It's like, I don't want to judge you. You're a Christian. You do the Christian thing. And so this is really a good option for you. Um, It's more than a good option, all right? When we look at it from a Christian perspective, the thing sometimes the culture doesn't understand, society thinks it's hateful, it's really just us being convicted and committed to God's design, God's truth, God's God's creative order. And so here's the reality. God's design is nothing less than an established standard. Now, we may disagree with the policeman while he's writing us a ticket for speeding. It doesn't change the fact the standard is you go under the speed limit. It doesn't change the standard. That may hit, did that hit home close to home for somebody? Y'all get a ticket yesterday? I'm sorry. But it doesn't change the standard. It doesn't change that that's the law. That's the standard the authorities have have established. And in our lives, there's no denying God is our authority. We don't set the speed limit. And so with that, it's super important. Those are all foundational ideas that get us to three points of clarity that we're going to talk about today related to God's design, in particular, in the conversation of human sexuality. Here's the first one. The first one is, and this is super important, I encourage you to take notes because I think this is simple, but it's super important and it applies in a lot of areas of our life, not just in the areas of intimacy. It really is applicable in a lot of different parts of our our Christian walk. So here's the first one. God's design uh, is for sex to be in marriage. In other words, God designed sex for, specifically for marriage. Now, here's what that means. Any context in which sex is outside of marriage is not God's will for you. I know we've talked about this week one of week four, week one of the four-week series. We talked about some of these issues, but I think we need to end where we started, and some of us needed to hear things twice, I'm sure. But intimacy is a gift from God. We shouldn't feel weird about it. It should not be awkward. You may say, well, Wayne, are you feeling awkward? Certainly. I always do when it's stuff that you would feel awkward about. It's worse for me than it is for you, I promise. But intimacy is a gift from God. When God created uh, the heavens and the earth and created man and woman, he literally said at the end of the sixth day, it's a very good creation. This is very good. And so intimacy is not a bad thing. It is a great thing. But here's the crazy thing. Intimacy, though, is a gift from God. We have made it bad. We have, as sinful human beings, made sex and the conversation of it a bad thing. The culture has hijacked intimacy and made everyone think purely in sinful terms. So that oftentimes when the subject is brought up, we immediately get embarrassed. And shame comes to our heart and our minds just like it did Adam and Eve's. When God was coming to confront them on their sin... They had covered themselves up. Why? Because they were ashamed for the first time. And and so this is in the same way. The subject itself is not a bad subject. And it's not a subject we should avoid in church. The reason we have cultural confusion is because Christians have avoided difficult subjects like this. So when we don't talk about them in church, our kids don't hear a biblical worldview in relationship to human sexuality, and they go to school and they hear a teacher or another student say something, it confuses them because they've never actually heard the truth about it, and they don't know what God says about it. All they know is that somebody may make some general statement that sounds ugly, but they've never really heard why and how the the Bible talks about it so So today I hope we bring a little bit of clarity. The culture has hijacked intimacy, the subject of intimacy, and made everything uh, that we talk about in relationship to it go through the filter of only sinful terms. So even TV for years kind of spoke in code words. I I was raised, even though, I mean, it was after the 60s and 70s. I was born in in early 70s. And and so during that time, I know, you know, the world went crazy for a little while. And then it went overly and swung back the other way, super conservative. Well, during my childhood, I mean, it was like you use code words for stuff. Like, do you ever seen the newlywed game? I don't mean like the new version. I don't know what the newer version is like, but like old version of the newlywed game. There would be, like, be like these couples getting in a booth, and, and, uh, and they would quiz them, ask them questions. If you have no idea what the newlywed game is, you're under 40. Amen, all right? So I'm sorry. But you work with me here. So they would interview these couples and ask them really embarrassing questions, and it was really funny. Anyway. So they used code words, and the code words they would use for intimacy was... One of them in particular, I remember, was whoopee, which is weird. I mean, that's a weird word, but that's what they, they would... Co- so they asked a question, they used the code word whoopee, and everybody would know what they were talking about, you know? Um, and so the reason that's relevant for what I want to tell you is my mom and dad went on a cruise recently. My dad is 80 years old, my mom's 78. My dad's been a pastor all my life. He, so I was born the son of a Southern Baptist pastor. He's pastored for 50 years. My, my mom... Is literally the epitome of like modesty and like a, a lady, a Christian lady, pastor's wife, and and so with all that, understand the context. They get chosen on this cruise to be in the newlywed game. <laughs> so you've been on a cruise. I'm see, I see what's happening here. All right. So they get on the stage and, uh, and and my mom's probably just a little overwhelmed by the moment. Like if I called you up here, I could say like several things and you probably wouldn't even hear what I say because you're just like oh, 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 all the people. So my mom just probably just blanked out. I'm not sure she wasn't listening while the MC explained that the code word for whoopee was ice cream. Mom didn't hear that. Mom didn't know. Mom's watching, by the way. I got her permission to share this with y'all. She had no idea. So she's oblivious to the code word. I don't know why she didn't hear it, why she was distracted or what. But everybody else in the room knew. They knew what he was talking about. And so when the question started, Mom is sitting there, and he said, So, Harriet... How long have you been married? Oh, been married a long time, over 50 years. They celebrated their 60th. I think they were on the cruise for their 60th wedding anniversary. Oh, everybody. So what's your pastor do? Oh, he's a, he's a Southern Baptist pastor. Oh, Lord Jesus, what's about to happen? You know, he's Southern Baptist pastor. Yes, okay. And, and, and dad's name is Phil. And so it was like they called him Dr. Phil, which is funny for another reason entirely. Um, so, uh, so, so the, the guy asked, Mom says, "Okay, so Harriet, let me just ask you a question. You ready? Oh, yeah, we're ready. Okay. So, so how how often do you have ice cream?" <laughs> Mom didn't hear the description in the beginning of the show, so she's like, "I love ice cream." <laughs> You just don't know. It's my favorite. I mean, like, sometimes two, three times. I just love, love ice cream. I just love ice cream. In fact, just sometimes, 2 o'clock in the morning, I may go to the kitchen and get some ice cream right there. Anyway. My sisters were literally in the floor dying, rolling around, and I wasn't there, thank God. But anyway. So, confusion... On the cruise ship was, was very clear. A lot of confusion, relationship. My mom did not mean any of that. But there's confusion today. The, world, the world's understanding of intimacy is all messed up. Let me just say it like this. It's upside down, man. It's so twisted. And if, if, you, if you are in your 20s, if you're a teenager, I want you to hear this, man. You don't need to learn about all of that from people who don't know and love Jesus. What you know and, and learn about that, what God's word, what your mom and dad tell you, you may think right now is just crazy. I don't want to have that conversation. Oh, my word, I was the last person. I, you need to, that's your priority in life is to follow God's will for your life. So don't listen to what your friends are saying about it. Don't listen to what some ungodly person who does not love Jesus or, or anything else. You need to trust the word of God and, and godly people who love you and want God's best for your life. And so, with all of that, the confusion is, is everywhere. The world's understanding is just backwards. Marriage all goes back to God's creative order. All of it goes back to God's creative order. God has a plan, and any variation from that plan, I'm going to say the word, listen, is sin. Any variation from the plan of God for your life is sin. The same is true in my life. When I fail God, when I fail to follow the path that God has for me in the creative order of my life, I am guilty of sin. doesn't matter if that's anger, pride, whatever it is. And so with that, I have to understand this is a relevant subject in relationship to that and not one we should avoid but one we should really consider today. So with that, there are two applications that are super unpopular in our culture that I'm going to go ahead and make clear again today. Number one. Sex before marriage is sin, period. Oh, Wayne, what about, nope, it's sin. Well, what about in this case? Yes, it's sin. Any, any example of sexual relationship outside of marriage, it's not pleasing to God. It's not within the creative order that God has intended, and it's getting things out of order, and there's good reason I'll share with you statistically why it's just completely unwise and foolish for you to think otherwise, but then secondly, a man and a woman who are living together, unmarried, are living in sin. Now, I want to clarify this. That does not mean we don't love you. It doesn't mean we're angry with you. I'm not going to treat you any differently. If you're watching at home, you're like, well, I'm checking this church out. Check that one off. We're not visiting there, you know. I want you to understand, we, we, we would be unloving to you if not speak truth. And, and I, with my kids, I want to tell them the truth. Because I love them. And in the same way, it doesn't mean that God hates you if you're sinning or if you're living in sin. He loves you and he's pulling you back to restoration in a relationship that he would be happy with in your life. Here's what at the end of the day it, it means. Am I willing to sacrifice now so that I have God's best for me later? That really is the question when it comes to intimacy. Jonathan uh, Pakluda uh, shared these statistics recently. In fact, uh, I believe the brother Chad who gave me this yesterday uh, texted me. I want to share these. These are really helpful. Uh, 90% – listen, it's 90% of people who live together never get married. I didn't know that. 90% of people who live together never get married. And statistically speaking, 80% of those who get married who have lived together before, 80% end up that marriage and divorce. So here's statistically what that means. Some people say, well, you know, I feel like it's responsible – and I want you to know, like from a flesh perspective, worldly standards, I, I actually think you could argue for that in, in a worldly perspective and not even doubt that that sounds right. It's almost like we're trying it out to make sure my wife doesn't kill me or my, you know, my, my fiancé doesn't kill me before we get married. Some people might think that's a statistically advantageous thing to do. But here's what that means. It means that the success rate of cohabitating couples prior to marriage, is 2%. That blew my mind. 2% of couples who live together before they get married will stay married until they die. And so here's the thing. You may say, well, man, I'm just if, if I, we lived together before and now we're married, we're destined for failure. No, that's not right. Give your marriage to God, I mean, now, like 100%. Don't hold back. And, and with us, everyone in this room, I mean, we have teenagers, we have young adults, Let's make decisions now that will lead us to a path of obedience later. Once we've actually made a decision, it's really much more difficult than to say, well, you know what, we're going to move out for a season, and then we're going to get married. I know that's super awkward for some people. That's just the standard God has set. And, And I know this is, you may think, subjective. The reason it's not subjective is this is what God says. The fact is, it's very good for you to follow his will for your life. So God designed sex for marriage. Secondly, God designed intimacy to be selfless. So with that, it's crazy to think in those terms because in our culture, everything is selfish. Uh, And the the crazy society we live in has twisted sin in in such a way that it's confused everything about relationships. Everyone seeks after self-gratification in the flesh. In fact, if we're honest, here's what people tell us. If we're not careful, we may have given this advice to people before. And let me go ahead and just say, please never do it again. You may say, well, hey, if you come to me and you ask me, uh, what should I do? I'm in this. Oh, follow your heart. If anybody's ever told you that, please don't ask their advice anymore (laughs) because that's not good advice. Don't follow your heart. The Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked in every way. Can I say that's my heart too? My flesh, it's going to lead me astray. Oh, just do what feels right. Do what feels right. I promise you, we all have examples. We have done what felt right and it was not a good decision. So doing what, doing what your heart leads you to do, do what feels right, do what makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy is what God wants. What scripture is that? Amen. Amen. The Bible never says, oh, just make decisions that make you happy. That's not Bible. And so Christians have twisted the love of God. And and honestly, it's easy to understand why. Because parental culture in our society has actually went that direction too. So now parents think to be a loving parent, you have to let the kids walk all over you. (laughs) That went over like a lead balloon. Amen. That's just true. Look, it's just true. We think, oh, I just love Jimmy, so... Since I love Jimmy, then I'm going to take up for him and tell that teacher she's crazy. You ever thought about Jimmy maybe the one that's in wrong? You know what I mean? Maybe the teacher's the responsible adult who's doing the right thing. See, our culture so bent. It's bent toward a selfish, you do what you feel, do what you, th- you feel is right, follow your heart. And we err on the side of love and the definition of love is letting people do what they want to do. That's not a biblical definition of love at all. And so with that, we do understand when we're approaching the conversation of anything related to Christianity, we approach it with selflessness. It's the only way we can do it biblically. Is that I can't make decisions based on solely what's best for me, but what's best for The glory of God What's going to bring glory to God in my life. And then also think about other people. Be selfless, not be selfish. Culture pushes us towards selfishness. We're encouraged to follow our hearts, do what feels right, and everyone just does what they think will make them happiest in the moment. The idea that sexual orientation or sexual identity, which are hot-button issues that I know most, most people don't want to talk about, and they'd probably prefer, I hope not, but they, many people would probably prefer the church not to speak to them. Here's the truth of the matter. In the absence of truth, fallacy is believed to be right. So we've got to speak truth. Now, we don't want to speak truth in an angry way. And so we're, we're going to be responsible to balance John one fourteen grace and truth and so with this we see sexual orientation sexual identity all of those things they're not just up in the air for subjective um, self-centered opinion that's I don't have the right I don't have the right to make that subjective call this entire logic opposes the belief that God has a creative order That there is a sovereign God who's the boss. There's a sovereign God who has a plan for you, a plan for me. And so a self-centered worldview has no room for a sovereign God with a standard of any kind. So here's the key. A self-centered worldview is incompatible with a a life surrendered to follow Jesus. So we can say all day long, listen. uh, Oh, Christ be magnified. Right? Right? Oh, man, Christ be magnified. God, would you you magnify yourself in my life? I can't remember the lyrics. On the altar of my life. I typed that just a second. We're singing. I'm sitting here going, oh. Christ be magnified on the altar of my life. Why are we talking about an altar? Because following Jesus means you're sacrificing. (laughs) You can't follow Jesus and worship you. I can't. I can't be a faithful Christ follower and do what feels right. I hope you understand what I'm saying. This is so simple. This is like the simplest message ever. I can't surrender to Jesus and surrender to me too. I've got to choose which God I'm serving. I've got to choose who's sitting on the throne of my life. Am I going to surrender myself and selflessness in the area of every part of my life, including intimacy? Or am I going to serve myself? Philippians 2, 3, here's what, here's what Paul says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from a selfish perspective. But in humility, count other people more significant than you. And if, if other people generally is applicable, then most certainly your spouse. Count your spouse more significant than you. Count your children more significant than you. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also to the interest of others have this mind have this mind among yourselves which is also in Christ Jesus think like Jesus what how was Jesus selfless he literally died on a cross for you he gave his life he bled and he died for you god left heaven to die for you that's the example we're to follow and so no we're not we're not to live a set. no one nobody in this room should say that god is okay with us doing what we think is best. If you say that, do not say God said it. That would not be true. Don't say Christians say it. Don't say this church said it, because that would not be true. The word of God is clear. When we come to Christ, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, he bids a man come and die. When you came to Jesus, you died to yourself. It's why you had to be born Again. And here's the weird thing that's really difficult for us to grasp. When we were born, this is like the creative inheritance, all right? We inherited our flesh nature from Adam. So the sinful nature, the Bible says, We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. So I don't even argue with people when they say, well, I identify or whatever. Like my identity is this or that. It's just who I am. You know what? We were all born sinners. Me too. We were all born bent against God. Our identity because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, it was sin. And so our sin nature is who we were. Here's the fact though. When we come to Christ, we literally died with Jesus on the cross when we, that's what salvation is. It's literally like saying, God, your work on the cross was enough. So I can say thanks be to God. I am living in freedom like we sung a moment ago. Not a freedom to sin, a freedom from sin. So, so now I don't ha- I'm not bound to the sin nature that I was born with. I have been born again. And the born-again nature is not one of the flesh, but the Spirit. Galatians 5 talks about walking in the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, see, there's no in-between. It's really, it's, it's so simple. Oh, Wayne, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I just, but nothing really changed when I came to Jesus. What, how are you a Christian then? Because literally when you come to Christ, everything changes. You're dead to your old man. Colossians, read the book of Colossians. It's all about dying to the old man and being raised to new life. So literally, you are no longer bound to the flesh and the desires of the flesh. You've been delivered by the Spirit. Here's the problem. We try to beat the flesh with our own ability, and we can't. We fail. So so many times when God really radically changed my life, I tried to quit things, that I, habits I had formed during those years away from the Lord. And, and I remember... So many times, I'll use one example that y'all will be shocked. I know, because, but you know, I told you I used to be a redneck. Um, I used to dip Copenhagen. And, and for y'all, y'all may be like, well, I don't think dipping Copenhagen is bad. Well, bless your heart. All right, for me, it was bad. God convicted me of it. It was damaging my, my body and all this other stuff. And so I, I literally, I can't tell you how many cans of Copenhagen I slung out the window. I'm talking about I slung them out, man. I quit. I quit a thousand times. And I was trying personally to quit. But you know what, I was, I was trying to quit something in the flesh by the flesh. I could not do it. I could not do it. I'm talking about, and this is just one of many things that God, I had to literally surrender to God. And so when, when I came to grips with, I realized that you know, I, God was teaching me, and I was, I was like, I can't beat flesh with flesh. I've, I've, got to, I've got to really give my heart and my life completely to surrender to the Spirit and allow the power of the Spirit to help me overcome the flesh. And that's really what I want to share with you, closing because here's the third thing. God designed sex for marriage. God designed intimacy for selflessness or to be selfless. But God designed marriage to fight temptation. It's like God actually gave you this vehicle to, to um, combat temptation. It's like a purposed, simple, applicable, practical solution in, in our lives. It's how God has actually ordered creation And one beautiful part about marriage is that it helps us obey God and fight temptation. James 1.14 says temptation comes from our own desires. That's the flesh. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us. And listen to this, draws us away. Our own desires entice us and draw us away. It drags us away. Our desires give birth to sinful actions when sin is allowed to grow inside of our hearts and our lives, it gives birth to death. Here's what I know. No child was ever born in a day, right? There's a, there's a pregnancy that takes place, and nothing is born in a moment, nothing. And so here's what James one's is talking about. In our, in our lives, the desires that come from the flesh, if we don't handle them with the Spirit of God, we're hopeless, man. And we may, I can't tell you how many people I've sat across the table from who made decisions. I mean, countless, mainly men, countless people who made terrible decisions they wish they could take back. And here's what most of them think. They must have been, you know what, man? I've really lived my life for Jesus. I feel like I've really committed everything. It was just this split second where I feel like I let my guard down. It was just a split second that I I felt like I, I wasn't strong and I made the mistake in that moment. Listen, all due respect, that's impossible. There was a time when the desire in your heart was born. It kind of started. It was a seed that began to grow. And it was in that moment it gave birth. It was realized, but you allowed it to grow in your heart. And, and here's why it's re- relevant to marriages. Man, everybody in this room, we need to guard Our hearts young woman young man not married yet guard your heart it's not like desires not gonna come but when desire comes keep a godly perspective on the desires remember the flesh and the spirit and and I heard a preacher say this many years ago said the dog you feed the most wins in the fight and then you got a, a dog here in the flesh and you got a dog in the spirit and if you feed the flesh, I promise you, you will fail. You'll fail. But if you feed the Spirit, if you read the Word of God, if you spend time with people who are going to give you good advice, if you actually want, and want to hear what God has for your heart and your life, and you're not pushing away the sovereign right of God to tell you how to live, but you're saying, God, would you teach me? Would you show me? Would you help me overcome my natural tendency to sin? God, would you help me overcome this, this tendency that got in my flesh? It's, it's who I am before you, but I know that, that I've given my life to you, and I don't want to live that old life. I want to live for you. Help me, because I can't. I can't quit the old life. I need you and the power of the Spirit to help me become the new man. Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night let me just, let me just ask you guys what do you delight in and what do you meditate on if, if you're busy delighting in and being drawn to things that are not pleasing to God that are just sowing seeds that are going to be born later then look, you're, you're going to live a life that's not pleasing to God. You're going to do things you shouldn't do. You're going you're to you're not live the best life God has for you. But you know what? If you delight in the Word of God and if you delight in making Him famous in your life, making much of Him, if you meditate not on the sinful things, but if you meditate on the Word of God and you allow good people Godly people to speak into your life the truth of God's word. God will bless you and your life will be. Your life will be better for it, but also more glorifying to God who saved you. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. I know that it's so often it's it's like it's difficult to even read the word because it's so clear. God, there's, there's no room in, um, in a conversation about your will for us in relationship to living selfish, selfless or selfish. God, you've called us. We know. You've called us to surrender. Would you help us t- do two things as we pray, Lord? God, give us the strength to surrender. I- I'm confident there are young men and women who need to make decisions, and maybe it feels awkward to them today, but they need to make commitments to really commit to you to keep themselves pure. God, they, they need to make that commitment to you, not to their mom and dad, not to their preacher for sure, but God, to, to you. God, would you help them have the strength to say, as much as depends on me, I'm going to stay pure till I'm married. I want to live for you, God. I want to bring honor and glory to you. And then there's couples in here that I know it's so easy to get distracted and sidetracked and selfish things. Lord, help us bring glory to you in our marriages and live for you every moment. Surrender completely in the midst of confusion and chaos in the culture. Help us live for you, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?